Welcome to Pregnancy Help Podcast. My name's Christine Grimmett, and I'm the podcast producer for Heartbeat International. I'm excited to welcome our guest for today, Amy Schuring. Amy, how are you doing today? Real good, Christine. Good to be here. Good. Thank you. Thanks for being with us. So today we are going to talk about an article that was published in our On the Leaderboard newsletter. You may have had a chance to read that. And if not, we're going to have Amy read it off for us in her own words. And we're going to just talk about some of the wisdom she's gleaned over her 30 years in pregnancy help ministry. Amy is the executive director of Women's Choice Network in Pennsylvania and currently leads the network of four medical clinics in the Pittsburgh area. So I can imagine that's quite a task, right? That's a lot to handle. (laughs) Yeah, it is. And uh, yeah, a lot of learning goes into that too. (laughs) Yeah. She's a a blogger, a speaker, and holds a master's degree in education and has spoken at our conference. So if you've been to our conference or we're at our, you did our peg talk for our virtual conference recently, right? That's right. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, it was an interesting experience, wasn't it? Doing it virtual. (laughs) Very virtual, yes. (laughs) Yeah. I actually, I listened to that particular peg talk recently and I hadn't put it together. So I... I know your name. I know your your uh, reputation in pregnancy help ministry, and and you're a, a strong leader in the ministry. But when you were talking in your pig talk, I was like, oh, that's the center. I remember this. I just it connected all of the dots. You have the center that had the protests. Uh, a while back and led by Lynn Winstead and a whole group of people that came and were shouting things. And you're the center where the young man came up to the protesters and said, this center helped me choose life for my son. And he had his adorable little son there and just pointed to him and said, this this little man wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the work of this center. And that story made some headlines, didn't it? Yeah, it was a really cool thing. So many so many of us, uh, you know, the pregnancy centers out there have had protesters, but that mm-hmm. particular story was just, um, it was just brilliant how God brought that young man to the sidewalk at just that moment. And his experience in the center, of course, was so valuable to him. So Mm-hmm. Uh, just to see his little guy standing next to him, that was, yeah, it was a really sweet moment. Yeah. Well, and what an affirmation too, if you're doing the right thing, you're doing some good things at your center. When you have people in the community who are like, well, wait a minute, this center helped me. You can't call them fake. You can't, you know, I, I'm a living testament of what they do. And Right. You can't argue with someone's, with someone's actual story. You know, it's really hard to argue uh, with that. Yeah. Yeah. So amazing moment. I'm sure you have story after story of things like that in your experience. So <laughs> Uh, we'll maybe jump into some of those stories today. Let me just have you go ahead and read your letter, and uh, we'll go from there. Okay, thanks. Dear Younger Me, well, where do I start? Maybe you've heard that song, um, Dear Younger Me by Mercy Me, and it's an interesting question. What would I go back and tell myself as a first-year director of a pregnancy center? What advice did I need? What secrets did the years reveal that would have helped the younger director me? Well, let's assume for the moment that over the last 35 years, I've gained at least some level of useful experience and knowledge. What would I pass along that might encourage you as a younger director? Other than pray early and often, (laughs) here are three principles that I wish had been stenciled on my office walls. The first one is keep the mission. Let the mission of your organization be the filter through which all decisions are viewed and decided. If it's not on mission, don't do it. 
Begin every board meeting, staff meeting, or planning meeting by reciting the mission. Unpack it regularly for donors and partners so that everyone understands that the mission is the God-given guardrail for your outreach. The mission should lead to creative change that transforms the culture and makes an eternal impact. Number two, embrace change. The mission remains constant, of course, but the strategies must always change to remain relevant and effective. The culture is changing, and so should your outreach. We've always done it this way is the beginning of the end. If a change will positively impact your mission, pursue it. Keep donors and partners informed about how your changes directly translate into saved lives and outcomes that are in the center of your mission. Number three, let go of toxic people. Growth, projects, events, and day-to-day operations can be soured or even sidelined by just one toxic person. Well, who's toxic? Anyone who's not seeking to reach the mission can become a complainer, a gossip, subversive, or just easily offended. Find ways to lovingly confront those who meddle, disrupt, and bring confusion, and let them go. Your faithful staff members will love you for it. Remember Jonah? They threw him overboard because he was off mission, right? Hold on to the people who challenge you, question you, and sharpen you because they love the mission as much as you do. Dear younger me, the director who is clear on the mission is confident enough to pursue and seek funding for impactful change. They will keep the rudder in the water and are secure enough to gently release toxic people and allow them to move on so that others can soar. God has placed you as the steward at the helm of a ministry that is ultimately his. So seek him humbly and confidently. This episode of Pregnancy Help Podcast is sponsored by Extend Web Services. They provide professionally designed websites and they can help people find your website to ensure that those looking online for pregnancy help find you. They also offer a chat feature that connects directly to Option Line's 24-7 contact center, allowing you to provide around-the-clock help to your community. With unlimited support and a free website redesign option every two years, Extend will continually grow with you to help you reach women. Extend your reach and save more lives. Get started today at extendwebservices.com. Well, let's start at the very beginning of your article here. You mentioned these are some things that you would like to have stenciled on your office walls. What do you actually have on your office walls? Do you keep little <laughs> reminders? Some people like the really the inspirational quotes or the Bible quotes, and some people like a very simple, minimalist type of office. What are some things that you keep around you to keep you motivated and inspired? Yeah, I've got that picture of um, the uh, the the iron worker from World War II. You know, like with the mm-hmm. with the arm. Um, her, I think her name was Rosie the Riveter. Only this is. Baby, <laughs> it's a baby that is dressed up like Rosie the Riveter, and it says, "You've got this, girl." So I love that. Yeah, you know what's been fun about doing Zoom meetings and things like that lately is I was talking with a director, but I could see the background, and she had this beautiful picture of when Mary and Elizabeth meet, and Ooh, and they're cool. just you know the baby in in her womb leaps, and 
It was such a gorgeous picture. And I thought that's so beautiful to have in your office for your maternity home. And so there's a part of me that's always like, I wish I could peek into everybody's office and see what they do. I need some decorating tips and some (laughs) inspirational motivation here. (laughs) It's always interesting to see people's digs, right? See what they, Yeah. 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 This is the time that we get to see that too. So your first point here, keep the mission. You said begin board and staff meetings by reciting the mission. That's a brilliant idea. I like that. I've heard of some people doing that. I think it's one of those things that you're like, yeah, we should do that. And maybe it doesn't actually happen. But that's a really good idea to keep on mission. I have trouble personally keeping on like my own personal mission and thinking uh, there's so many injustices in the world. There's so many things I want to accomplish someday. And it's so important to focus on the things that you've been called to do. And it's hard to determine. So is is this right. ministry, yeah. is pregnancy help ministry something you've always thought, that's what I want to do, pro-life work and helping moms and babies? Or what was what narrowed that down and made you zero in on this particular ministry? Well, I um I think I'd have to go back and say, you know, God called, you know, called me to the ministry and many of us um doing this have to remind ourselves of that first call. And, um, you know, this was back in the 80s when we were protesting abortion clinics and uh, somebody took me down to one of these protests and um, sort of the last thing on my mind or my radar, but just seeing um, young women sort of be um, sort of pulled or pushed almost into these abortion clinics, seeing that those were women from my neighborhood. Um, You know, as a 20 something, I, I saw people my age and I think from that moment, it, I, I just felt as a Christian, this was something I needed to stand up and and fight for. So um, it really wasn't anything big and remarkable. It was just a moment in time where I knew this was going to be a focus of my life. I never really imagined that I would do this my whole life, but um, but the mission has always been important. And I got to tell you that my <laughs> my staff probably is going to like etch this on my tombstone because I'm always saying to them, "What's the mission?" And um, I'm asking it all the time because I know how important it is to keep the rudder in the water and to know that this is the guardrail, that God has given us this scope. And so defining your mission as the filter of all the decisions, it actually uh, limits the focus of the organization, but it also frees you to it because it guides growth. So some people feel like the mission, oh, you know, I can only do what's in the mission. And I always say, say no to anything that's not on mission. But at the same time, we find real within that scope, brilliant opportunities to dig in and really make the outcomes the main thing. So one of the first things that I would say is about the mission is to know what you're measuring to see if you've reached your mission, right? Mm -hmm. And a lot of people have a mission statement that they unpack once in a while, but they never really look at what outcomes am I measuring to help me know, did I reach the mission? And uh, we had, you know, we had those moments of truth along the way. Um, And I think for a a younger director or any of us really, um, (laughs) I I know the reason I got asked to do this article, right? Is because I'm old, but... um, (laughs) No, you know what's funny? <laughs> to be honest, when I read, I read you had 35 years experience. I was like, there's no way. Did yeah. she start when she was 10? Like, I was did- yeah, I was eight. Years. <laughs> um, so, but I think what a lot of um, organizations struggle with is they make the budget the filter. They, they ask questions and they say, well, is it in the budget? 
So all decisions filter through this um, through this budget. And so, and I don't know about you, but my experience has always been that money follows mission. It doesn't precede it. Like we don't look in the bank and say, hey, what are we going to do with this stinking $50,000 that's sitting there? None of us think <laughs> right. that. We're always saying, well, we don't have enough money to do this. But mm-hmm. when we know it's on mission, we can really confidently go in and say, you know what? We're going to do this. And, and I think that the, the problem with, with using the budget as the filter is that you also get lost. You, you, start, you start opening up the, um, you know, the ideas and, and things, things start to happen that, are, that go sour. So here, here's an example of that. Say that you're really strapped for cash. I mean, you've got nothing coming in and, and you're behind and you're taking out a line of credit and, and, and things just aren't going well. And all of a sudden you're offered a grant for like, I don't know, let's just say it's $60,000. And it's for a housing project, but you've never done housing. You know, this would be great if you were a housing organization. That would be fantastic. But if you're a pregnancy center and you've never done housing before, all of a sudden your board starts to think, wow, you know, $60,000. Think of what we could do with that money. You know, we could pay off some bills, et cetera. But all of a sudden now you're doing housing. And so you really, you know, you shift off of the main thing for the money. And that's what happens when we use the budget as our filter instead of the mission as the filter. <clears throat> so I can look at that 60K and I can say, you know what, that's not on mission. That is not what we do. And so we're going to pass on that money. And, and instead, we're going to really dig in and go here and we're going to ask donors. If you can help donors connect a, a change with mission, then you then the money will follow. And that kind of gets to that second point, doesn't it? Is that you have to embrace change. Um, you know the mission, you can confidently step over there and um, and start to change. Yeah, I think those go really hand in hand. And, and you're right. You're absolutely right that there's been times where you think um, we have this project that we want to fund and we're behind on funding. And you know what? God makes it happen. Or there's a banquet during a pandemic that you're thinking, we don't know how we're going to make this goal, <laughs> this fundraising goal. But I've heard story after story from our centers saying we exceeded our goal. We don't know how we did it, right. but God did it. You know, it was all God. It just happened because he knew that mission needed to move forward. And there's still a lot of centers that are struggling, but there's there's ways to keep going. God always makes a way to keep going. And I know you've seen that in your ministry. Well, yeah, over this period of time, you know, we've seen a lot of change and the way things are done are very, very different today. And if, if you're a director and you don't embrace change, uh, you start to get really stuck. Um, I remember speaking at a banquet and um, in the planning meetings that were mostly done by phone, what I kept hearing is, well, we're going to do it that way because we've always done it that way. And um, and so, you know, they, they pretty much had a banquet that they've always had and they pretty much made the money that they'd always made. And instead of really thinking outside the box, they they just said, you know, well, we've always done it this way. And it reminded me of that story of the ham pan. I don't know if you've ever heard this story, but um, so this is a granddaughter and she's, you know, she's now at the point where she's cooking for herself and it's Easter time and she starts to make the Easter ham and she cuts off both ends of the ham because her mom always cut off both ends of the ham. And she starts thinking about that and she says to her mom, mom, why do we always cut off two ends of the ham before we put it in the oven? And her mom says, well, because we've always done it that way. That, that's the way my mother did it. So the girl went and asked her aging grandma. And she said, grandma, why do we always cut off the two ends of the ham before we put it in the oven? And her grandma said, well, I had 
I didn't have a big pan. I, I had a really small pan and I couldn't fit the ham in there. So I, I had to cut off the ends of the ham to put it in the, <laughs> in the ham pan. That's great. <laughs> and I think what, what we often do is, is we're working with grandma's ham pan and, and we're starting to do things, right, that we, we did in the 80s or 90s or, or the 2000s because that's the way it was always done. Boards get really stuck there. Um, they can look at things and say, well, no, we, we've always done it this way. That's really the beginning of the end. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, with the culture changing the way it is, and of course, with our tools and technology the way it is, we have to constantly embrace change within the guide rails of the mission. That's why the mission is so important, because we want to make sure that what we're doing is building programming that reaches those targets and outcomes that measure the mission. Um, another good example of this is when we added STD testing, and um, and we had to really really decide whether that was on mission. Um, a lot of organizations who've added programming have to stop and say, you know, is this really is this really where, where we want to go? You know, and um, we ha- you know we had to really test that out and really pray about it, and. Sometimes you look for an early win. So we, we, we started doing STD testing thinking, is this, is this the pathway? And what we found right away was that it began to increase some brand loyalty. People who came for an STD test returned later. Uh, we, we began to assess people for abortion vulnerability. So everybody who gets an STD test now, we assess them for vulnerability because part of our success metric is um, that we're reaching people who are most vulnerable to abortion. So we're really realizing that we're reaching them through STD testing. And also um, we've had at this point many, but that first year we had several people who came in for an STD test. They got a negative STD test, but they had a positive pregnancy test and they couldn't have been more surprised. But there they were, they're already in the center. You know, we're already talking to them when at the point of they of um, learning that they're pregnant. So that's an example of how, you know, we had to really pray through it, test it out and see, is this really on mission? Yeah, that's a great example. Now you guys have four clinics at your Women's Choice Network. Did you start out when you first started there? Did they just have the one clinic and you helped build through the other ones and open the, the other centers? Yeah, we were really a traditional um, 1980s uh, pregnancy center, right? We were in the suburbs, we were supported by suburban churches. Um, there were four uh, such um, centers right in, in, in the Pittsburgh area where we are. So everybody kind of had their own suburban center. Uh, and uh, it was a great place to start. Um, but it became clear as we, you know, as we progressed that we were reaching a certain demographic and, and we certainly were reaching a donor demographic. But when we learned in Pittsburgh that over 60% of the abortions were being suffered by African-American women, it changed the way we looked at things because African-American women only comprise about 12% of the population in our county, and yet they accounted for 60% of the abortions. Wow. So it was really important at a certain point that all of our boards began to you know, look and, and think about merging together so that we could... Um, we could address this issue right in the city because it had to be a missional kind of effort. Uh, we didn't really have the, the demographic of support that we needed inside the city, but we did have the demographic of need. So it was a matter of merging some centers together with a mission to reach those who were most vulnerable in our city. And those people were not in the suburbs. So that was a huge moment of, of change that was absolutely on mission and, and God has really blessed it. So, so today, um, 
Yeah, and uh, you know, just the ways that we change. <laughs> One thing too is I, I told God, you know, I will never have a thrift store. Like that is just not going to be part of what we do. Well, guess what? You know, God loves it when we tell him our plans. <laughs> because just this past month, we opened a thrift store. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, so it's like, oh, yeah, we just needed another thing to do. But during COVID, <laughs> we realized that we had a lot of people with just tremendous need. And we had a lot of donors with, with tremendous generosity. And we put those together and, and put together a little store. And it's beautiful. It's a, it's a great little center, great little place called The Nest. And... Uh, so sometimes change comes to us um, because it comes from heaven <laughs> and God says, this is what you need to do. And that's why we have to embrace it and look for opportunities. Yeah. I love hearing when centers say we saw a need and we could meet it. So we met it. We yeah. just saw that that was something that our community needed. They're in the community. They know what the community needs. And especially this year, we saw all kinds of different needs. And so you just adapt. You say, this is what's out there. This is what we can do. And this is what we're going to do because that's what we're called to. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. So the, all these changes, there's always people in the mission in your ministry who may be on the, the opposite end who really don't like that change. How do you approach that in such a gentle way and just say, well, this is actually another way we could do this or another way we could expand? Do you have a particular way of approaching people who are difficult to um, kind of turn to your idea of change? Right. And I mean, this was my number three was to let go of toxic people. And I, I would say that most of us um, are kind of built the same, that we got into this into this ministry because we wanted to serve God or follow his teachings. We wanted to work in a, you know, in a, a great positive um, outreach and and dealing with with difficult people is tough. And I think our, the worst part of my job is when I have to let somebody go. I would say historically, it hasn't happened very many times, but boy, when it when it needs to happen, it needs to happen. And so one of the things that I would say to a younger me is let them go, let go of toxic people, um, because there are people who will not want to change. There are people who will not um, kind of come along with the way the mission uh, is, is becoming relevant in today's world. Um, so, and I, the example that I give of, of Jonah, I think... <laughs> I think it's a really good one because God <laughs> called Jonah to go to Nineveh and uh, because he had a job for him to do there. And instead, Jonah gets on a boat and heads the opposite direction. So we have to picture our, you know, it's sort of like we're, the, we're on the boat with Jonah and, and all of a sudden there's wind and there's storms and people are getting, you know, um, you know, it's, it's just a disaster. And, and the people uh, on the boat, the crew, decide they're going to throw Jonah overboard. And sometimes we have to be the crew. And we have to throw uh, a person overboard because God has a mission for them somewhere else. And uh, they may have a passion about something that they need to fulfill outside of, of our organization. So you have to look at this, that this is benefiting not just the organization, but that person. So Jonah was able to, <laughs> um, be, after he was thrown over, he was able to go to Nineveh and basically complete the work that God had sent him to do. So um but who, who's toxic? I mean, you know, you can look at your organization and when, when you're on mission um, and you're doing things God's way, you start to recognize who's toxic. And those people can just simply be complaining, gossiping, um, you know, dragging their heels. I know when we uh, anytime we had major changes 
you know, we had people that, that did just didn't want to come along. And one of the, <laughs> one of the examples of that, uh, so there was a point at which in our ministry along the way, we had, uh, we'd kind of lost the focus of the mission and it had become a place where women went for diapers and baby clothes. Now there's nothing wrong with that. It's a fantastic outreach, but we wanted to reach abortion vulnerable people. And what we were reaching instead is an unintended audience of just, just women in need. And um, there were plenty of missions that offered these same kinds of the same kinds of material assistance and care, um, but we were filling our our uh, appointment schedule with women in need, and so they needed baby clothes and diapers, and they were frequent flyers. In other words, they were coming pretty often, and so um, we made a really difficult change where we had a very stiff criteria under which a woman could come in and get material assistance. It was a pretty high bar. And naturally, that first year that we made that change, our numbers plummeted because we didn't have nearly the appointments um, that we'd had the year before because of this of this sudden change. And uh, so we had a, a, a few uh, volunteers and staff who just did not understand. And they called me the diaper Nazi, like, <laughs> no diaper for you, <laughs> because uh, I really felt like we had to get back on track. And um, I felt like there was going to be a long-term reward here. But in the meantime, I had to convince people that this was really, it was, it was on mission, that we had to get back to mission. So with a few of them, we were able to do that just simply by going to them one-to-one. And we're really big on Matthew 18, that you go through a process of talking to this person one-on-one and saying, hey, you know, mm-hmm. I understand you're not happy with this. I, I, I can understand, um, the change for you. And, and especially when you have a person who says something like, I've been volunteering here for 15 years and I do it this way. And this is, you know, these are the people I want to serve. And it's, it's wonderful. You want to affirm, wow, you've been, you've been with us all this time and you're an awesome person. Usually this is the sweetest lady in the world. And, um, but at the same time, we have to, we have to get that person to the place where they're able to really come on board and understand the purpose. Um, we did lose some people. Uh, I, I have to say that some people just never really got that. They just never got it. So they had to go. And your staff will thank you for it because it really does affect staff, especially if the complaining person, the toxic person is a paid employee. That just spreads through through your staff. And uh, you don't want to let it get out of hand. You don't want to turn, uh, you know, turn a blind eye, because you lose respect as a leader when you have a staff member who is um, who's saying things, who who's kind of ignoring the rules, who's um, being insubordinate, that kind of thing. When you turn a blind eye or decide to just pray about it for months and months and months, uh, it really becomes the toxic person becomes infectious. And it can really turn an organization. I think it's actually more harmful to an organization than a lack of money or protesters at your door or, mm. or negative reviews on Google, any of that stuff. This is way, way more detrimental. That's what I learned over the years is that I would let these people hang in there for long periods of time. And and they became very, um, very troublesome in the, in the long run. So... Um, yeah, so we had to sort of let those people go. And, and sure enough, within another year or so, that's where we really began to, to you know, 
change our metrics, get back on mission, and realize that we needed to reach those who were most vulnerable to abortion. And those numbers came came back up and, you know, have skyrocketed ever since. So we knew that we mm-hmm. did the right thing, but it was really difficult um, to throw somebody overboard. <laughs> and, yeah. and then they go to their church and they say, this, this organization is, is, you know, they're not they don't know what they're doing and they, they fired me and, you know, and uh, it's, it's difficult to get through that little phase of time, but I really recommend Matthew 18, go to that person, talk to them, really try to win them over, help, help to, you know, make it a change in yourself to, to better communicate the mission and to um, impart the mission in people. Because if you have a few volunteers who don't understand what's going on, I guarantee You've got tons of donors who don't understand what's going on. So let it be a bellwether for you when you see grumbling, complaining, um, or even insubordination, that, that that's probably your problem of not, not really unpacking the mission often enough so that people get it when we're making a change that, that is powerful for and, and will have a tremendous impact on our audience. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's the hope for each individual that's a part of that center is that they find their place where they can thrive. And and maybe that's at the center for 15 years and then on to something else or another aspect of the ministry where they really feel called to. Sometimes you, individuals can get stuck in a rut of, I've been in this position for so long, but maybe they're being called somewhere else. And so the hope is to get them to the place where they can be fully using their gifts and talents to move whatever mission they're working towards forward. And and sometimes that's, that looks different for different people, but I think it's hard to be in that perfect balance of being the strong leader and also being the kind and compassionate and sweet person and not being, you don't want to be somebody who's walked over as a leader. You want to be a strong leader. So there's a balance, but we see that even with Jesus, you know, he would, he would pull his apostles aside and say, Hey, we're going to have a stern talk right now because something's not, not going well. And so I think he's the perfect example of sometimes you have to be stern and strong in those discussions. And for me, as somebody who avoids confrontation, I'm like, oh, I don't want to do that. That's not me. But, you know, if Jesus did it, then we should be doing it. There's there's a time and a place. And that whole um, that verse in Matthew that you talked about with pull somebody aside separately, there's there's such a right way to do it and a way to do it with grace. And that's a challenge. It really is. Yeah. And um, you bring up a great point that Jesus is always the, you know, the author, the perfecter of our faith, and um, that he's a great example to follow. One of the things that we did, too, as a team was, um, this is over the, you know, over the course of, of time, is we developed three core values. And we communicate this at the point of hiring. Um, and we try to communicate it along the way in staff meetings that we have three core values. And one is respect, one is integrity, and one is excellence. So respect, integrity, and excellence work themselves out in various ways. And one of the ways is within the team. Uh, Respect, integrity, and excellence, when we apply it to each other, um, it really raises the bar. And the key verse for those core values is speaking the truth in love. And um, we know that when we just have truth, it can seem brutal. You know, we just we can really beat people up with the truth. And when we just have love, uh, it can seem very sentimental. 
like you said, non <laughs> non confrontational because that's me. <laughs> I want everybody to like me, you know. So, um, but if it's all love with no truth, um, that's just sentimentality, and it's like two wings of the same bird. They need both wings to fly. We we need both truth and love um, in order to have respect for each other, integrity in our actions, and excellence at every point of our ministry. So we try to um, keep those core values in front of people the same way we keep the mission in front of people so that our team becomes a really cohesive, loving, respectful group of people. I liked all those points, and uh, the analogy of the bird makes total sense. And I like this last line of your um, let go of toxic people paragraph. You said, hold on to the people who challenge you, question you, and sharpen you because they love the mission as much as you do. Mm -hmm. And I'm guessing you have a handful of people in mind when you wrote that and said, these are my people who keep me going forward and, and who help me move personally and professionally in the right direction that I'm being called to. And how have you found those people over the years? Well, yes, you need truth tellers. You need people who will tell you the truth. And I would say that I didn't find them because I don't think we naturally seek out people who will lean up against us and challenge us. I think God does. I think God. Mm -hmm. I think God That's a good point. To bring to us uh, that we really need. And um, I know my nurse manager is a truth teller. She will tell me when something is wrong and um, she will uh, bring up items that need to change and she'll continue to bring those up and, uh, you know, to me. And it is a vital relationship. Um, one that is very loving, but also very real and, and truthful. And we need that. Um, what we often want to surround ourselves with is somebody who says yes all the time. <laughs> who's somebody, yeah. Oh, great idea. Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> And um, that's who we want to, you know, have in our little constellation. But what we really need to have close to us is somebody who will tell us the truth because they love the mission, because they know that God is at work here. And, and one of the things that my nurse manager will say to me, her name's Gloria, and she'll say, you know what, let's, let's pursue things that only God can do. Because if we can do it in our own strength, big deal. But if, we could, if we're pursuing things that only God can accomplish, wow. I mean, that's the kind of life that we want to live as Christians, right? We want to be mm -hmm. doing things that are outside of our own abilities, and um, but inside of the mission. So I really um, value her. And I have a few board members, too, that you wish there weren't board limits when you have really good board members. But we have you know board limits of so many years, and I've found that wow, you know, when I have a truth teller on the board it, who loves the mission and who loves me, it's so, it's a great relationship, um, far better than somebody who just says yes all the time. So we, um, you know, God sometimes brings us the people that we absolutely need in our lives. So just because somebody is complaining or pushing or asking questions and seems like a difficult person, that doesn't mean they're toxic. That could mean that they're really, really healthy and they totally get the mission and love it. So uh, we really need discernment to know who's, who's really toxic to our team and who is an asset. Hmm. Really good stuff. Thank you for sharing all of this, all of your stories and all of your wisdom, uh, your Dear Younger Me article. And I have that song stuck in my head every time I read that. And it's a great song. I thought that should be our intro music, but you know, licensing and things like that. <laughs> well, don't ask me to sing it for you. <laughs> yeah. Next time. <laughs>
<laughs> and along those lines, I feel like I could contact you in three to five years and say, can you write this again? And you might have some brand new things to say. There's always new things to learn. So yeah. the whole idea of your dear younger me, you know, you could have you could write a letter as a 15-year-old to your 10-year-old self and have things to say, or you could write it as a you know, 50-year-old talking to your 20-year-old self and have something different to say. There's always such wisdom. That's the beauty of our human lives. There's always something to learn, right? That's right. Yeah. I still keep the mission though. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Number one, always number, number one. one, right? Well, do you have anything else before we wrap up? Well, I just really want to tell you how much I appreciate Heartbeat. Um, it's been such a great relationship to have with, you know, with this affiliate organization. I, I really... Um, it's like there's a friend at the other end of the line whenever I call. I, I just um, have really valued the wisdom there and the experiences of people and the openness and transparency. It's just been a great relationship all through our development because Heartbeat's been around longer than <laughs> a lot longer than me. So um, I, I just wanted to tell you that, Christine, that it is it's a real privilege to work with this organization. Thank you. We definitely count it as an honor to work with you, to work with all of our affiliates. I love getting those phone calls and emails from people and just hearing what you're up to because that's my that's really my way of being part of your ministry and getting to um, serve you in, in any small way I can to help you further your mission. It's very exciting to be a part of this. And as we always say at Heartbeat, we're better together. We love the relationships that the organizations have each other and have with us. We love making those connections. So it's always a blessing to talk to those who are out there, the boots on the ground, doing the work and serving the women. So thank you, Amy. Thank you for taking your time today and writing this article and, and sharing so much with us. I really appreciate your time. You bet. I hope it's helpful. Thanks to all of our listeners. So we're glad you joined us today. If you'd like to hear more of our episodes, you can go to heartbeatinternational.org slash podcast, and you can subscribe. Um, or if you're using Podcast Player or some other platform for podcasts, just search Pregnancy Help Podcast, and you should find us there. Thank you all for listening. Thank you, Amy, and hope you all have a wonderful day.